Welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of the Hashtag Five Things podcast, your uh, weekly roundtable of what's happening in the world of social and digital and tech and all fun innovation thingies. Uh, This week with me in our once again remote recording, I have to my left somewhere down in New York City, Toby Daniels, the CEO and founder of Social Media Week. Hello, Toby Daniels. Hello, Daniel Bennett. And then to my right, somewhere up in the wilds of Connecticut, our good friend and our North American head of social media, Kenny Gold. Hello, Kenny. Hello. Okay, team, everybody's here. Everybody's healthy, so big thumbs up there. Um, So without further ado, let's dive into this week's five things. And the five things this week we're covering are, number one, the fact that Facebook are expanding their community help feature. Number two, uh, YouTube removing COVID-19 and 5G-linked videos. Number three, Twitter deleting two of Brazil's president's tweets, the Brazilian president's tweets. Uh, Number four, HBO creating conference call background. And number five, John Krasinski launching his own YouTube channel. So number one is going to be... Who's number one? Me, Toby. Toby Daniels. All right. Take it away, bud. So we talked about this last week about the opportunity the platform's being presented with right now to really make an impact. And one of the kind of the big opportunities here is the fact that these platforms have just such extraordinary reach and scale. And Facebook, of course, is one of the biggest social media platforms in the world. So the news is that they have expanded a very particular feature on their platform, which allows users and groups to offer assistance within their communities, as well as request help. Um, They actually introduced the community help feature back in 2007. Uh, Back then, it was providing users with a central source for searching and receiving help during times of crisis um, and sort of um, post-natural disasters. Um, And so during COVID, and in an attempt to kind of try and offer as much support as possible at this time, they've expanded the feature to help its global audience cope with and respond and offer and receive assistance during this health pandemic. So... Um, the community help section can be accessed directly via, sorry, the community help section can be accessed directly on the platform, although they are looking to kind of release like a dedicated, um, app that will make it much easier for people to use. Um, since they launched the community feature, more than a billion users have relied upon the information centers updates. And, um, the way it basically works is you, first of all, just decide whether you want to offer assistance or whether you need help. Um, Then you can offer specifics in terms of like what you need. So for example, um, you may be stranded or you may be in like a remote part of a very rural area in the UK and you might need someone to get groceries for you, but you don't necessarily know who can help or how to sort of put the word out. And so this feature basically makes it very easy for you to ask for help. And of course, if you are able for whatever reason to be able to offer assistance and help in this context, um, you can connect to that person through this particular app. Um, I actually tried out this feature when it first um, came out last week because my mum, uh, who is 72, in very good health, but her husband ha- does have like underlying uh, respiratory issues. Um, both of them are just, you know, basically locked down and not able to leave the house. 
Um, they are fast running out of groceries and food. They live in a very remote part of, of, of England. Um, so my mum is able to use this feature to uh, ask for and get assistance from people who live locally to her. So it, it's very personal to me in terms of like understanding the value of something like this. Um, and obviously, um, I feel a great deal of like comfort in the fact that my mum can ask for help through this type of service. They're rolling this out globally as we speak. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of like look at the data, look at the numbers to see the sort of impact of this. But I think this is just a, a, another great example of a platform leveraging its scale to be able to offer assistance at this time. Yeah, yeah it, you hit the nail on the head, Tobe. And, uh, you know, I, I wish I had some more insightful thoughts to add. But the truth is, it, when these platforms behave in this way, it's just one step in the right direction from where we were pre-COVID. I think there was a lot of mistrust. I think there was a lot of concern that the platforms that started to be for the people turned out to be for the platform and for the advertisers. And the fact that they have found a way to, to leverage their reach and their scale and their connectivity for good uh, is something that will help them with long-term brand building which uh, I think they're thinking a lot about. And for, for the masses, um, really trying to hone in on simple, easy ways to help with the device that is in our hands all day long. I, I think people are sharing um, notes about their screen time increasing by you know triple digit percentages, which is just insane. And, and I think having the ability to get help in meaningful ways right from the palm of your hand is, is something that it will be critical as the weeks go on. Certainly. There was a there was another just a, a quick update from Instagram um, because they just recently rolled out a new feature which is kind of connected to this or at least in a similar sort of context. Um, they introduced a new sticker question for stories called How Can I Help? Um, which actually stemmed from um, a good friend of ours, uh, Musa Tarek, the global head of marketing at Airbnb. He made the suggestion to change the ask me a question sticker to how can I help? This now like provides within the stories an opportunity for people to reach out through their stories and have like an interaction at that level as well, which I think is super interesting. I love the idea, as Kenny mentioned, that the, these platforms are going back to some extent to what their roots were uh, in communities. And I, I've had similar experiences when it comes to things, for example, like um, educating the kids and there are local groups on the main Facebook platform that I've started tapping back into and it does feel a little bit sort of 2004 2005 again um, I think that's super refreshing so I think that's a I think that's a smart move from our friends at Facebook um, number two then moving on is YouTube removing COVID-19 and 5G linked videos Kenneth of the goals that's me uh, so I think this is just the the platforms being good platforms. Uh, so with the rise of some conspiracy theories uh, tying COVID-19 pandemic to 5G, YouTube said that it was suppressing some quote-unquote borderline content that could mislead people in harmful ways, such as conspiracy theories uh, surrounding the virus themselves. So um, with so much COVID-19 misinformation out there, the platforms are playing a significant role in both the spread of the fake news, but also the stopping of the fake news. And, and YouTube's actions could really help prevent further um, further attacks on 5G cell towers, which might be really vital at a time when remote connections are more important than ever. Um, so it, it's simply put, I think it's good to see the networks are beginning to self-censor, understanding that 
we need real information more than ever right now. It could be uh, costing people their lives if, if misinformation is disseminated uh, through these channels. So good on YouTube. Uh, the other networks are taking similar efforts to pre prevent this type of misinformation. So all in all, you know, I, I think it's it's a good sign that the networks are recognizing uh, their need to be good global digital citizens in the age of Corona. Yes, I um, I fully agree. When I hear these stories, sometimes it doesn't feel like we've moved on all that far from. Um, the Salem witch trials and witches floating and sinking because it, it just is complete BS. So I personally, I'm very glad they're taking a stand on these things. And I think actually they probably need to start doing this more often. Toby? I think, yeah, I think it, you know, it, it, it has taken a global pandemic that is impacting more than half the world's population for the platforms to actually like recognize what their obligations and responsibilities are, because it's much harder to sidestep um, when people's lives are at risk and people are actually like dying as a result of um, uh, the, the spread of, of misinformation and a, a generally misinformed public. Um, so that, you know, is, is a is a positive to draw from a from a, a obviously catastrophic and really terrible moment in time. But um, the good news is that when we come through this and we come out the other side, it's going to be easier for us as an industry and more broadly as a society to hold these platforms accountable because we have something to kind of reference um, to provide us with context about why it's so critically important for them to step up and take responsibility for the, for the way in which information is distributed through their platforms. It's just a shame they didn't do it in the first half of 2016, isn't it? Anyway, uh, moving on. So number three is... Uh... Your dear host, uh, I'm going to take this one, and that is Twitter has deleted two of the Brazilian president's tweets. So Twitter deleted two of President uh, Bolsonaro's tweets because they were they contained, as we just mentioned in the last thing, fake information in relation to COVID-19. So Twitter recently announced the expansion of its rules to cover content that could be against public health, so against public health information provided by official sources, and that could put people at greater risk of transmitting COVID nineteen. And uh, someone, one of the one of the folks at Twitter, uh, said that it's a it's a it's definitely a large step forward for this platform. Who has they have come under fire in the last few years for not doing enough of these sorts of things. So it feels like a very similar feels like a very similar territory than the last thing the one that we spoke about prior, but um, it's a little bit deeper, I suppose, in this regard, because it's the first time that they're starting to take a stand on sort of officials and important officials tweeting and saying the wrong thing. Now, in, in the US, which is where we are all based, you know, I, th I think they, I think there's a, I would make, I would say there's an argument for them to make a, a bigger stand here, because there's some absolute BS flowing right now. Um, so where does this stop? Is it just the beginning? Toby, Ken. Well, yeah, that's, I, you know, that's that's where I I think this is starting to get interesting is the precedent that it's going to set leading into November, as well as in other areas where there will be big um, global impact elections. You know, I think we're not out of the woods with this thing, and it's going to take some time uh, to to see where we all land at the end of Corona. But the the impact will make its way far into this November's elections in the U.S. and and the networks taking a stand on misinformation. 
I wonder if Corona, and I, I say this uh, not to disparage or disrespect or make light of what's happening, but is this the situation the networks have needed all along to take their stand on misinformation? Right. I mean, I, I think it, maybe the Brazilian president is like a beta user of like their new policies. So they look for, you know, someone that they can test this on isn't going to kind of create too much controversy here in the US before they then take a stand against uh, Mr. Trump's um, continued effort to spread misinformation and to put out false information through Twitter. So it'll be interesting for me, you know, seeing how this First of all, as you say, Kenny, sets a precedent, but then what does that precedent really represent in regards to kind of what happens next and whether they will um, start to delete um, US-based politicians who are spreading misinformation? So it'll be very interesting to see. There's a child at somebody's yeah. house who doesn't like this story. It's, it's, definitely, it's definitely my child, at least one it's, of them. Yeah, it's one of, the, it's one of the baby Daniels, I think. Yes, objecting um, to the fact that I've locked myself away but that's what this podcast's all about, my friends. Here's a little glimpse into our real lives. And I'm sure in a few minutes, one of my sprogs will be screaming. And then by number five, Kenny Gold will be crying. So we'll we'll get there eventually. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Number four is HBO creating uh, conference call backgrounds. Toby. Uh, you know, <laughs> when I got assigned this one, it was like, you know, um, I was I was sort of I didn't quite know how to best cover it because of course it feels very silly uh, in the context of a lot of the things we're talking about. But actually, a little bit of light relief is important, I think, and I'm sure our audiences are desperate for it as well. So the news is, you know, HBO, along with like a ton of other kind of brands, media kind of retail brands, have basically come out with a set of like backgrounds that can be used to liven up your Zoom meetings. So. If you've been on Zoom, which like it seems that everybody is um, using Zoom as the kind of the primary tool for handling all of our kind of you know video conferencing meetings, uh, has a feature that enables you to um, replace your background with an image of your choice. Um, you know what's interesting about this is the fact that like um, this one small, fairly almost like innocuous feature allows us to creatively express our way, ourselves in, in very personal ways, right? So what background you use is a way of like creatively expressing yourself. It's a way of like, you know, uh, sharing a little bit of your own kind of, uh, of your own sort of um, identity. Um, and much like back in the days of like, you know, being able to customize your MySpace profile, um, some people um, creatively express themselves in, in super fun and interesting ways, and some people not so much. Um, so with HBO, of course, uh, having so many iconic TV shows, um, you know, the backgrounds uh, are a way for you to, um, you know, uh, uh, attach yourself and your creative expression to a TV show that you love. So if you're a Game of Thrones fan, there's a Game of Thrones background, of course. Uh, if you are a Avenue 5 fan, which I am, you can have an Avenue 5 background. But the one that I actually think is interesting, because um, at least they've tried to sort of think about how this works in the context of like the Zoom background, is Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. So you can actually kind of position yourself as if you were John Oliver in the in the seat, in the studio with like the New York sort of uh, um, skyline in the background, which is pretty cool. Of course, what are these backgrounds? They're just like high-res photos. So like, let's not get carried away. There's nothing kind of particularly unique about these things. You can download photos from the internet all the time. 
Um, but but nevertheless, it definitely um, uh, is a fun way of being able to kind of mix things up in these in these Zoom video conference calls. So I, I think it's I, nice I, I love it. I think if it was particularly if they're really on point, they'd do John Oliver's current background, which is just a white wall. That'd be funny. Um, yeah, no, so, exactly. I think it's cool. so, so you know, it's not white. It's actually whale j- uh, which he told everyone. So that <laughs> needs to be beeped. Let it be beeped. But he said it. So I don't know if is a swear word. Is it? It's a little bit sophomoric. If it is, I think we'll leave that one in. That's a note to you, guy. I don't. I don't know. I. I, I think we, it's a challenge for for guy really uh, to decide. Joey and guy have to decide whether that is the word is allowed on this podcast or whether we're just going to have a whole bunch of beeps. Uh, what I love <laughs> is that number number four to this week has has become uh, pretty focused. So. Um, <laughs> let, let, me, let me just, um, uh, yeah, jo- Joey just uh, messaged us saying he's going to beep it. So uh, good luck beeping it, Guy, and I hope this keeps you busy. Um, so one other, one other quick thing on this one, because it just struck me as you guys were riffing on that, and I think it's a, I think it's a fun uh, addition this week, but how do you think the guys at Skype are feeling right now? Oh my God! Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's, there are many fallen heroes, I think, in the world of video conferencing that like failed to kind of really embrace the opportunity. Uh, I think Skype is is a is a pretty good example. But then again, you know, I wouldn't feel too bad for Skype. Skype's owned by Microsoft. Microsoft also owns Teams. Teams, it seems, is doing very well uh, at this time. Is like you know, product number two or three in in terms of kind of pop popularity. So I know. You know but think about the money they spent. Yeah, but I wonder if the infrastructure of Skype allowed for them to make a more elegant product like Teams. And at the end of the day, you know, when we go back to normal, will we keep this behavior? Is this the kind of thing that we're going to be be able to maintain or will Skype for business come back around? I, I, I think it's impossible to really understand where we're going to land at the end of this to be able to say whether or not it was, you know, the guys at Skype are kicking themselves or not. Yes, good point. I just want to leave a little pause, and then we're going to move on to number five. A little refresher, because number five, Kenny Gold, it is our good news of the week, Kenneth. Yeah, so John Krasinski of The Office, of Jack Ryan on Amazon, uh, he has launched his YouTube channel all around sharing good news, or SGN, as he says. Uh, It's actually super heartwarming. It's really good stories that people might be looking for right now. Yes, it is related to COVID-19, but it's it's definitely a little bit uh, kinder and, and really puts a smile on your face. Um, there are stories talking about how uh, cities all over the world are supporting healthcare workers. There's a story about people delivering food to people's porches. There's uh, even a story that we heard about from our friends at The Verge where he... Um, there was a man who purchased a hundred lobsters in Maine to help a local fisherman. Um, it was a really adorable video, and and John Krasinski is kind of really sincere and lovely in this thing. My favorite thing that he has done to date, and um, someone at, at Gray actually sent me the video, and I was found myself sobbing uh, as I often do uh, watching it. Was there was a little nine year old girl whose birthday it was. Um, and she said, my parents were going to take me to go see Hamilton in New York, which obviously is canceled due to the pandemic. So instead she sat at home and watched Mary Poppins. Now John Krasinski's wife 
played Mary Poppins. So she jumped in and the girl was very surprised and loved hearing from Mary Poppins. But then all of a sudden, the entire original cast of Hamilton came into the Zoom and, and sang the opening number from the show. And it is just a tearjerker um, to watch her reaction and just the genuine emotion that lives within it. It really was the feel-good moment that people needed right now. So good on John Krasinski for creating um, really that dose <clears throat> of good news that we we need in, in this time. What I love about this, uh, I mean, following this very closely, big fan of, of Krasinski, love his Amazon show, um, is that, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the rawness of it. I mean, the SGN sign that, that is behind him was made by his daughters. You know, he's wearing a suit, but probably just pajama pants underneath, which Steve Carell kind of called out on the first episode. Uh, it's in his home that just makes it feel kind of very warm and personal. Like this, this if anything, if anything sticks, um, you know, we were just talking about the fact that like, you know, will we still be doing video calls like post-corona? And, you know, it's hard to say really, but if anything sticks post-corona, I hope it's celebrities doing these types of things, raw, stripped down, super authentic, um, heartwarming, you know, types of kind of things, you know, and, and leveraging obviously social media to, to enable it to happen because, um, you know, I, I just think it's, it's what the world needs right now for sure. So that's really interesting, Tobe. And, and what, what I love about that is we've been talking for years about the democratization of content and how YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and Twitter have allowed for content creators to come in and and showcase what their their selves and their art and a certain subset of society has really latched onto that i think the intimacy of content that lives on social and on the internet has now become even more apparent and that is going to show that's going to help the this content that is so engaging and interesting really get out into the rest of society in a meaningful way the, the, are the days of buying tickets and going to a show or going to a game over? And are we now, is this the new normal of how we engage with content? I don't know, but it, it certainly is an interesting um, trend to watch as we move throughout uh, this entire issue. I'll plant this seed for you. Um, I was watching the Bill Gates LinkedIn live uh, interview yesterday um, and you know, he, he just is basically the only person I want to listen to right now, but he was talking about, they were talking about obviously the vaccine and I mean, I know we're getting a little bit off topic now, but I think it is interesting. Um, you know, mass gatherings, right? Take a sporting event or a music event where there are large numbers of people gathering. Those, those mass gathering events, um, are likely to not return to normal for at least a year to 18 months. Like, just wrap your head around that for a moment. And the reason is because no one is going to feel confident and comfortable um, coming together in large numbers of people until there's a vaccine, and the vaccine is 12 to 18 months away. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy, but is but it is also very quickly, and this is Kenny speaking, not Toby, a plug uh, for what is coming up in the coming weeks. And I think uh, good on Toby and the team at Social Media Week for what they're doing with their uh, the pivot of Social Media Week to Social Media Week 1, a virtual conference series, which I think the folks at Gray are really excited to help support Toby and his efforts. And just uh, congratulations to his team for their perseverance in this pretty difficult time. Wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> you, mean to, you mean to say that I can stay in the comfort of my own living room 
and absorb a month's worth of content from the Social Media Week organization and all of their partners. A hundred right? hours of live streamed content delivered over four weeks um, is, is what we are working on and laying out right now. And, uh, you know, obviously, as Kenny said, it's and thanks for the plug, by the way, as Kenny said, it's, it's very much a reaction in response to um, the fact that, you know, mass gatherings for, for now and for the foreseeable future will just like not be possible. I strongly believe that any event that has pushed to the second half of the year is just simply not going to happen. Um, certainly anything over 500 people, um, we all just have to get used to that reality. And it's very unfortunate, but I think the opportunity is really important. And SMW1, I just, I'll just say this one thing before we wrap. SMW1 isn't just simply like a conference for people to come together to talk about digital marketing. SMW1 is, is an opportunity for the world of media marketing and technology to come together at a time of crisis to talk about how we react and respond, what the pathway forward is, what the future is going to look like. And most importantly, like what should we be doing as an industry to make sure that we are able to provide support to those people who need it the most? Now, Amen. I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a great point on which to end this week's show. Um, it's been a good one. Uh, it's been, these weeks are tough, and I want to thank you two, and I want to thank our uh, listeners for listening, because recording this podcast with my two mates, uh, talking about this stuff, actually is something I look forward to very much every week. So thank you for continuing to listen. Thank you, Kenny and Toby, for continuing to dial in and do this from random rooms in your houses and apartments. I appreciate that. Um, any further finishing comments from either of you before i uh sign us off nope stay safe everyone what exactly okay yes uh stay safe all my friends out there and uh if you have anything you want us to cover on the show as always drop us a line the information is in the show notes but without further ado we'll get out of here and we'll see you all next week thank you very much bye 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 the five things podcast is produced by andrew petty grace mcdougall Joey Scarillo, John Dillon, and Al Manorino, and recorded at Townhouse Studios. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Social Media Week is a leading conference and industry news platform that curates and shares insights, emerging trends, and best practices with the world's smartest digital marketers. Gray is the exclusive global creative insights partner for Social Media Week. Check out more at gray.com.